Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you all about our new mini series, Sliding Doors, Your Story, that's coming out this spring. Do you have an extraordinary sliding doors moment that changed your life or know someone that does? I'm talking about these real what-if moments in life where if something hadn't have happened, your life just wouldn't be the same. A split decision which could have meant life or death. Finding the love of your life. Missing that train. If so, we really want to hear from you. We're looking for podcast guests to come on and tell their story to our listeners. So whether you have a story to tell or know someone that does, we really want to hear from you. Please go into the podcast notes wherever you get your podcasts and click on the application form. We cannot wait to hear from you. Now, on with this week's episode. My guest today is Laura Checkley. Laura is an actor and comedian, best known for her roles in BBC's comedy drama King Gary, Military Wives, and her new role in the Channel 4 prison drama series Screw. Laura started her career in musical theatre, but her love for comedy pushed her to take the plunge full-time. She is one half of the female comedy duo Checkley and Bush, who toured nationwide with shows at Edinburgh Fringe and West End Theatres. Her breakthrough role as Terry in King Gary has made her one to watch on our TV screens, as she brings not only a comedy angle to her roles, but also an amazing likability and authenticity. You may also know her for roles in award-winning shows such as Detectorists, In My Skin and This Country. Laura's had an amazing journey so far in her life, making the brave decision to come out at the age of 23 after falling in love. She's had some brilliant moments along the way, and I cannot wait to chat to her all about them. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Laura. Hello. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's so great to have you. And you've got some amazing Sliding Doors moments to discuss. I'm really excited to chat today. Yeah, Um, firstly, thank you for that lovely intro. That was lovely. No, a pleasure. (laughs) Well, you've done it all. Um, So I've just started watching Screw, um, which I love. So just wanted to know how all that's going. How is it to film? I mean... I feel like anything that's a prison drama must be, just be really interesting to that insight into a different world. Yeah, firstly, every anytime anyone says screw, I have to go screw. I don't know why it's like, <laughs> screw. Um, it's, um, oh gosh, it's been a real whirlwind. It's gone down really well. Um, uh, y- y- you know, when you read something, 
you choose to do it because you believe in it and you think it's really great. The script's fantastic. Um, and just the, the, our writer and creator, Rob Williams, he's uh, volunteered for years and taught in prisons for years. Um, so it felt just so real. It just felt like it was coming from such a rich and real um, informed place yeah uh, that when, uh, the, when I read the script I just knew it and um, I just fell in love with my cat character Jackie um straight from the off I mean firstly I'm quite obsessed with prison dramas um, yeah I, you know, bad girls up, all the way oh my god bad girls of course and, yeah. and my comedy partner uh, Victoria Bush was in bad girls yeah the um so I was obsessed with bad girls of course but my I grew up around the um, uh, I spent a lot of time with my nans and she lived around the back of Wormwood Scrubs prison ah. and I used to play football out in the scrubs and you could hear the prisoners sort of shouting things yeah. and whatever and I was always hugely intrigued I used to watch prison cell block H with my nan and so I've always been really really obsessed with like the prison world I think yeah. we all are a bit, aren't we oh it's the unknown isn't it for a lot yeah. of people perverse thing isn't it sort of you're terrified of, of it but you want to know all about it at the mm-hmm. same time um so yeah so when it came along and, and and obviously it's drama is is I say it's new to me I did train um as an actor but I spent so long in comedy that it felt like a bit of a leap like can I do it still can I yeah. tell the truth in a you know authentic way um so yeah I mean when when it came up and uh, and then I saw who they were having as uh, the rest of the cast I just well I'd be silly to not take it um yeah it's, it's been an incredible journey I've got to say well, your role is amazing. And I think that that's what I love about it. Because it, it's not a comedy role, but it, you have like a, that cheeky angle to it. And do you feel like, because I guess, do you find it easy finding those roles that are, you know, not so serious, but have a bit of tongue in cheek or a bit of, you know, some, she just has something about her, doesn't she? Yeah, you know, my characters have always got to have something about them. I'll read scripts and they'll be ever so good. And I'll just, but I'll look at a character and go, yeah. Where's I don't know. There's something has to grab me, and it's not always about being funny, but there has to be this character element. You know, I'm a huge Mm -hmm. character actor, so I like to play characters that feel a bit further away from me. I feel like Jackie's actually the closest that that they've ever got to me. Um, But yeah, um, Jackie is like. As soon as I read it, I knew many women like Jackie. Mm -hmm. I've grown up with women like Jackie. There's probably an element of me in Jackie as well. Um, Yeah, I I think. I think I just, yeah, you, you just you just know when you read something. And I, I am definitely drawn to funny characters. I think, yeah. I don't know, I think I, I have a sense of humour. I don't take myself too seriously as a person. I take my job seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. And I think that's important for me and characters as well. Definitely, definitely. And, Jack, and Jackie's got great one-liners. So, of yeah. course, I was sold, you know. Oh, I get to make people laugh as well. Great. <laughs> exactly. And do you always, when you when you take on a role, do you always try and um, think about someone you know, like to really, you know, get, get deep into that character and take references from people that you've met and know in your life? Always, always. Done it right from when I started writing characters as well. You'd start... You know, they say, write what you know. Um, uh, and I'm writing something now and, you know, any character I write, you've got to hear their voice. Yeah. Um, so equally, when you look at a script straight away, it'll jump out and go, oh, God, you know, Jackie's like my auntie or Jackie's like my nan or yeah, definitely um, I, I always have a point of reference. It might not be someone close to me, but it's definitely someone I've met along the way or at school mm. or definitely. I think it's... um. I think all acting it to a certain degree is, of course, it's feeling and being in the yeah. moment, but it's imitation as well. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I definitely always have a point of reference when I read something and go, yeah, they're like that person. Yeah, and I think that what that's what makes you such a likable actress, and I think also makes you kind of relatable to people because you can tell. I think you can tell you bring that authenticity to your roles. Um, well, so we did also say you've obviously had a whole. I mean, you've had a life in lots of different areas, but I guess with with the comedy and acting side, which kind of do you prefer? Because I guess you know you've done you've done like stand up stuff before, and you've kind of done your touring show. Which you know, which is your like real love? Uh, it's comedy. It, yeah. It's always been comedy right from a young age. I don't even know why. I think, you know, my family are, uh, very quick witted. Um, you know, uh, my, my mum is hugely witty, very funny. One of the, f- uh, and my nan is like my comedy hero. She's not with us anymore, but, um, I grew up around very strong, funny women. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of comedy playing in the house, only fools and horses. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was 
really drawn to Victoria Wood and Julie Walters right from a young age, a very young age. Uh, Mum said I used to watch sit and watch uh, Girls on Top and that was around 84, 85. I could have only been about four or five. But Mum said you were just drawn to these funny women and um, I I knew I wanted to be like them. Um, I don't know why, I was just drawn. So from a very young age I knew I wanted to be and, and do comedy and then obviously that progressed into loving uh, double acts and um, uh, French and Saunders in particular. I was obsessed with them, still am. Um, <laughs> and I was obsessed with finding my comedy other half. I always knew I couldn't do it alone or I didn't uh-huh. want to do it alone because I'm a real collaborator. I like to work with people. Um, so I always knew that stand-up wasn't it. I didn't want to be a yeah. stand-up comedian. It's characters that I love and characters that I love um exploring mm-hmm. um and yeah c- comedy is is definitely in me I can't shake it off and and actually having done um dra- drama for a bit you know when I was doing screw and we were up in Glasgow filming it for four years four months I did start to feel a bit itchy I was like okay I need to make someone laugh now so I'd start <laughs> prattling about on set because I wasn't you know getting to um release the comedy uh, juices so yeah um it's it's always about comedy and you know and I love writing and creating characters that's where my love really lies you know yeah and I think as well it's it's kind of in your bones and I think that's when you know that's what you're destined to do and I think that we'll talk a lot about kind of how you've got there but I I like your story because it's you know it's not so easy to be like I want to get into comedy there I go you sometimes have to go around all the houses to kind of get in there and I think you've definitely done that it's like the, your infrastructure in life. My, none of my family performed. No one knew what, what it was. I didn't yeah. know how to do it. I just knew that there was a dance school around the corner that my mate was going to um, uh, when we lived in Hounslow. And I went there. And and lucky for me, it ended up being uh, Bonnie Langford's mum's dance school. And she knew ah, what she was doing. Yeah. And so I got sort of, um, she, she sort of honed, uh, you know, I was, I was dancing and performing. Um, and she just said, oh, you need to go here. There's a free... Uh, performing arts college there that you know non-fee paying and so I got steered but it was lucky that my mate had stumbled upon this dance school and said do you want to come and I went yeah go on then because I was very much playing football at the time sliding doors moment there you go hey I know (laughs) starting early and so what would you say is your I guess like favorite or proudest moment in your whole career so far I mean you've done so much but is there a moment that really stands out to you of like you know I can't believe I did that it's it's really got to be King Gary um You know, when I was younger, watching Victoria Wood, Julie Walters, all I wanted to be was a, a lead in a BBC or a, a, a primetime TV sitcom. And I got to do it. And mm, so it's, cool. that's, it's amazing. But, and, and, and with a part like Terry King as well, who is just an incredible gift um yeah I get to do it all with her the physical comedy because I'm a huge physical clown it's very important to me physical comedy um so I got to do it all and um and and the part was written for me so uh and and the the, the guys Tom Davis and James DeFrond writers and creators of King Gary weren't afraid to make me really funny either so I and also found my people yeah. they're very working oh. class I'm working class the whole cast and crew were very working class I fe- felt like I'd sort of finally arrived Belonged, when I, yeah yeah and it was uh, it was just a joy and I, I remember when we did the Christmas special um uh we did that they were doing this about this big light display in the crescent and gary spends a fortune on all these lights trying to impress the rest of the crescent and i remember driving up and all the lights were on it was was like you know regent street it was was huge lights everywhere this tiny little crescent and i turned to tom and i said we're making a we're making a Christmas special and we're Amazing. The in a BBC One primetime sitcom. That's all right, isn't it, mate? We've done yeah. all right. Um, and I remember that moment. We both really, really like, you know, it meant a lot to us mm-hmm. um, and particularly as well to make TV for our people as well. You know, the yeah. working class and stuff feels quite oh. special, you know. It's lovely that you remember that because I think sometimes it's also quick and fast and even a second where you can be like, I'm here, look what we're doing. Yeah, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to do that because it's really easy to keep the goalpost shift all the time to go what's next what's next but I'm trying to I'm trying to exactly um oh I love that and I guess before we go into talking about your moments I wanted to ask you what's your general thoughts on the concept of the sliding doors theory so do you think that life is all about fate and chances do you think it's coincidence hard work timing what are kind of your thoughts and theories 
Oh gosh, that's such a hard question because I feel like a, it's a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I do, I strongly, I did the secret for a bit. Um, yes. And that's all about just putting it out there, believing it will happen. If you believe it will happen, it will come to you. But I do believe in hard work also. Mm-hmm. I do believe, because I've had to work really hard to get here. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like it's all been luck. I feel like I've really made some of my own opportunities. Um but then, you know, when, you know, when you meet the love of your life, it does feel like serendipity. It does mm-hmm. feel like fate. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of both. I'm, I like to believe that it's all mapped out for you. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to work hard in order to get all of that as well. Yeah, and that's, that's a brilliant really answer. I feel like I'm sitting on the fence, but <laughs> you are not at all because it. Is, but it's true, and I don't think we can ever be totally certain because I think some things, as you say, feel like they're just meant to be. They happen to you, you know. You bump into someone and that type of thing. But I think a lot of the time we talk about you can be presented with opportunities, but if you don't work hard to get them or you don't, you know, work on yourself to get them, they won't come to you or pa- they'll pass you by. And I think you make a great point of saying. You have to work hard, but you also have to believe in yourself and believe that you're going to be where you're meant to be, I guess. Totally. I think when when the the, the opportunity, I always think of uh, meeting Tom Davis and James Afrond as a bit of fate and serendipity and a bit of luck. But when I met them, I was ready. Yes. I was ready to say, look how good I am and look look where you can put me. And 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 I and I knew I knew when I met them it was there was a huge opportunity there to work with them further. We'd done you know, three other projects before we got to King Gary. Um, so I just, yeah, and I feel like 10 years previous that I probably yeah. wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have been ready to go, I'm, I'm worth it. Look at me, I'm good enough. Put me in your shows. <laughs> totally. Timing. And you're totally right. And your Slang Dolls moments are brilliant. So I can't wait to chat about them. Um, okay. So your first one is um, deciding on either a career in football or a career in performing. Um, you said you'd been scouted to go to a trial at Arsenal, but you were doing lots of performing at the time and everything just started to clash. Obviously, you chose performing and never looked back. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask, how did you get into football in the first place? How did you get into performing? Tell us why this is a, like a big moment for you. Football is huge in my house. My uh, biological father, he's not uh, no longer with us anymore. Huge football fan. He used to be a referee on a Sunday, um, uh, just like uh, semi-pro football. And then um, my stepdad's a huge Liverpool fan. Um, of course, I was a kid in the 80s, so I followed Liverpool. I'm a big fan. Oh, no, Liverpool I'm an Everton fan. supporter. Oh, I'm not no. sure we can continue the conversation. Okay, bye-bye now. Thanks for being lovely, Jenny. <laughs> I'll let you carry on. It's fine. Oh, mate. Um, yeah, no. Um, and uh, so my brother played football a lot. And, you know, when you are a working-class kid in the 80s, you didn't have computer games. You didn't have a phone. Well, you had computer games, but you didn't really, it wasn't really in our psyche, was it? It was yeah. you played outside. Um, and I just loved football. I was very drawn to uh, footballs and I was good at it. And I was yeah. fast. Oh, God, I used to run so fast. can't even run for the bus now. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, uh, I was good and people picked up. And I, used to, I used to run circles around the boys and then that sort of fed into school. And when you're at primary school, you know, you, I didn't really care that the girls were over there, you know, doing whatever. I, I wanted to play football. So yeah. my whole school life was about football, really. Um, and playing for teams and um yeah and and because and my dad knew a lot of people in football he sort of introduced me to this manager and I, I started playing for junior bees which is Brentford's kids team mm-hmm. uh, Brentford football club's uh, uh kids team so I started playing there and um it was all sort of five aside at that age because you're very young and yeah. and stuff. And, and a girl from my school who was really talented, she played with us as well. And then that led to other things. And then so you start being in tournaments and you get scouted. And I got scouted, I um, uh, can't even remember by whom now, but that my manager at the time uh, phoned and said, oh, you've been scouted by Arsenal, they'd love you to come for a trial. And it was actually my mum just said, look, I think I was 14 at the time. She said, look, you, everything's clashing. I, I started dancing at nine or 10. Um, was totally in, in love with performing, obviously. But everything started to clash. I was a very yeah. busy child. Um, uh, yeah, mum just said, you can't, I, you're going to have to make a bit of a decision here. And I think also my mum wanted me to perform. I yeah. think there was a whole thing. And, and, and particularly at the time, there wasn't money in women's football. There wasn't, no, totally not. 
it didn't feel like something you could really make a career out of um, unless you went to America or Spain or somewhere. But, um, yeah, and, and, and my mum just said, I think you need to make a decision. So it was hard, but I, I said, I'm, I'm okay, well, I'm, I'll, I'll stick with performing because I know I love that. Um, but it did break my heart at the time because I was very torn at, at, at that point. Yeah. Um, Especially and, at that age, like when we haven't made big decisions yet. And I think, you know, when you're a kid, you've got the world world at your fingertips and you can do everything. And then, you know, when you've got to make such a strong decision, it must have been really hard for you. It was really hard. And I remember my manager at the time phoning me and I was on the house phone. Never forget it sat under the stairs. And um, and I was really upset. And he was like, I can't believe you're not going to go. You know, you could play for England. You're that good, Laura. You could play for England. And I said... I just have to do this. I can't. I can't. Um, I, I can't go. I don't want to go. And then, I guess my thinking was, if I go and I get in, then I have to really make a decision because then I really know I'm good. But yeah. if I don't go, then I'll never really know. But then that's always really annoyed me as well at the same <laughs> time. So I'm like, I wonder if I could have played for England. I wonder if I could have played for Arsenal. Yeah, never know. You'll never know. And I guess, so where were you then in your kind of performing career at this time? So you said kind of you'd gone to dance school. So, so how, how kind of had the two started to clash? Where were you in your performing career when this opportunity came? Oh, very much in its infancy doing amdrams and, you know, nothing professional. Um, like, and that was the thing. It was like, this the reality of the football was like in front of me wasn't it saying well you're good enough to play mm-hmm. for Arsenal well you might be yeah so suddenly I was like I need to think about this as a profession suddenly the two hobbies become like yeah what, what you're going to choose um but I just I knew I always wanted to make people laugh like even when I was on the football field I loved it when I scored a goal like I was a striker and that that just makes so much sense to me because I loved the glory of people applauding or shouting my name when I scored a goal. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the glory more than the hard work and the and the training and all of that. I just wanted to be in it for the glory. So I feel like, um, and also I've I've actually got a really dicky knee, so I feel like I'd have been a bit injury bound had I chosen oh, my football career. So I, I cling to that and go, yeah, I'd have definitely been injury bound. So I definitely made the right decision. <laughs> no, I love that. But you obviously just had a very natural talent for both, and it's interesting because I've had Bradley Walsh on the podcast, and he had a very similar thing where it was like he was he got injured, so he didn't. But you know, he literally loved it for kind of the glory side and then went into comedy and could have been a professional footballer and I guess you kind of have said you often think like you know what would your life look like now and I wanted to ask you if you'd had stuck with football I mean where where do you think you'd be now I'd probably be like I've become a PE teacher or something maybe definitely sports related because I love sport I know that if I had to do something else that would be it that would have been it mm-hmm. anyway I'm too old and I'm fit now but um yeah I, I feel like I, I I follow a lot of footballers that were around at my time yeah um, now and a lot of them are pundits or the, you know the ones that certainly went on to play for England and yeah. a lot of them are pundits now making their money that way I'd like to think I'd have played for England uh yeah. won loads of medals um had a brilliant career um and then now be like a sports pundit that's what I'd like to think it would have gone like but there the reality go. the reality is I think it's quite it was quite difficult to financially sustain a football career sort of in the 90s yeah. for women you know still difficult still it difficult. really is but I guess the best thing about this podcast is you don't know so you can say that's what you were going to be and believe yeah. it and there yeah. you go yeah um, and I wanted to ask just quickly so you mentioned you know having to make that big decision at quite a young age and although like you know your mum kind of gave you an ultimatum do you do you when you do make decisions now when you kind of think about that as probably like a big moment do you get like a gut feeling do you kind of do you debate it for ages in your head do you talk to people how do you kind of come to these big life decisions well firstly I'm a Libran so it's a nightmare we're infamous for not being able to make a decision once I've made a decision I think oh I should have gone the other way (laughs) but I do follow my gut if something doesn't feel right like there'll be something just as simple as like I'll read a script and I'll go "Ah, I don't know I just don't feel right I'm not digging it I just nah mostly it's about being happy for me and Mm -hmm. and being creative Um, I won't take a job you know luckily now I'm in a position where I can I can choose a bit more with my work like I'm not having to snatch at jobs as much anymore Uh, whereas you know that a lot of actors are having to just take whatever's given to them because financially how do you sustain a career Mm -hmm. um something I talk about all the time but um yeah I think um 
I think I definitely am a gut kind of gal. Yeah, for sure. Good. And I think, you know, life experiences teach you whether to follow your gut or not. And I'm a massive believer in following my gut. I think I can always, you know, if something doesn't go right and I follow my gut, I can deal with it. I think yeah. if I've known it wasn't the right thing and I haven't done it, then you, you can only ever, ever blame other things. And I think the hard thing is, is that when in life, when you follow your gut and something doesn't go right, you have to learn then that maybe that was meant to be. And, yeah. you know, because you, you, I think sometimes the good and the bad happens from following your gut. Definitely, for sure. Um, and that kind of leads nicely on to your next moment, which is the decision to come out at 23. So you said you were very close to not doing it um, and you were prepared to live a lie, but you fell in love and the support of your first girlfriend and your friends um, meant that you chose the right path. So I guess this is such a big moment and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will resonate with it. Um, and again, something must have told you to kind of follow your gut and do it. So do you want to explain how you kind of came to this decision and the process you kind of went through at this age? Yeah, I mean, we're going back, oh, blimey, nearly 20 years now. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> God, that feels so weird to say that. And I was 23. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, back 20 years ago, and particularly, you know, I was at drama school on a musical theatre course, um, you very rarely met anyone uh, that was um, a gay woman. Lots of yeah. gay male friends, mm-hmm. um, uh, tons of them. But um, I wasn't really surrounded by many queer women. And, and uh, growing up as well, it wasn't anyone like me on telly apart from Ellen. And you know, when she finally came out, she got cancelled. Yeah. So um, it was it was difficult um, uh, and tricky to not feel like there was something wrong with you so I ignored it for a very very long time and because I was so driven in what I wanted to do it was a great distraction so I was never one to have lots of um uh, boyfriends or anything like that I mean I did have a few boyfriends um but that was just to sort of keep up the facade I thought yeah. well, in a few months maybe I should just go out with someone <laughs> so no one knows I'm gay <laughs> Um, so yeah, and, and I, I definitely wasn't looking for it when I was at drama school. I was very much, uh, focused on, you know, getting to my, at the end of my three years and getting a brilliant agent and getting out there and finally being a, an actor. Um, yeah. And I, I, someone on my course, uh, my first girlfriend came along that was out of the blue and, and I was sort of forced to make a decision really, because I think when you fall in love, um, I think I always I think, so firstly, I think I always decided in my head for a long time I think I'm just gonna not come out really (laughs) or certainly ignore it oh for sure a long long time yeah um and I think I always knew deep down that I'd have to probably fall in love in order to come out um I think that happens a lot I think it's quite common yeah Um, I I think yeah and I think it's partly about going feeling like you'll be taken seriously as well because it's like well look I've actually got someone and I'm yeah. in love and it's real as opposed to when you, you you're younger and if you come out you know a lot of brave youngsters come out in their teens and they often get questioned going oh well you know you don't know who you are yet and mm-hmm. maybe have a little think and a bit, bit more life experience then decide or is it a phase and so I yeah particularly around that time um it just felt really difficult and yeah. much easier to not be gay so yeah I you know I used to sort of force myself to go out with um guys uh all of them lovely you know um but yeah I I would I I think I was sort of prepared to sort of be unhappy which is crazy isn't it now when I think about it you know if you'd have given me a pill that would have made me straight back in the 90s I'd have definitely have taken it and that's really sad you know it's so sad yeah but that's how I felt and that's you know visibility and talking about it you know we live in a world now where you can see someone like you and having a life that you possibly want. But back then it was like, and you're only going back 20 years ago, like I said, it just didn't feel viable. And I didn't have anyone around me that um, I felt like I could talk to. And then I fell in love and then it forced me to go, I choose happiness, I choose Mm me. Um, uh, But I do wonder, I think, I wonder how long that would have gone on for um, because I was definitely prepared to live a life of pretending yeah um I don't know how long I'd have got done it for but I was mm-hmm. definitely prepared to do it for a long time it just felt like that was the easier option yeah yeah 
terrible um, when you think about it, really. It really is. So what was your biggest fear with coming out? Um, as in, you know, before you did fall in love, what were you most scared about? Well, I mean, firstly, you, I was scared about losing everyone. Your friends, your family is mm-hmm. a big one. I, I definitely didn't know how my family would take it. And they were incredible and it's that's funny isn't it like you, you probably worried so much about it and it probably oh, you create a narrative opposite. you create a narrative in your head which is always the worst case scenario uh, everyone's going to leave me and I think particularly worried about my my parents and mm-hmm. my family and that's it right there you're worried that everyone is going to disown you or walk away from you um when in actual fact you should have a bit more faith in people around you yeah uh, you know just we didn't, I didn't grow up with anyone gay around me, male or female, anyone queer. It wasn't, it wasn't just in our psyche. So it took me a long time to figure out. So, you know, I had a lot of internal um, homophobia going on as well. I had, and that's the thing, you know, which I always uh, talk to people about. It's like, even now, if, um, you know, we live in a time where it's easier or it's better, um, it's still not great, but it's better. And we're dirt, certainly moving in the right direction. Um, but people say, oh, you know, come out already. It's 2023. Why doesn't this person just come out? And it's like, well, you don't know what they're struggling with. It's Mm -hmm. about internal homophobia. And I had tons of it. So the shame that was attached to being gay was so huge that I was prepared to sacrifice my happiness because I thought it'd make everyone else happier. And actually it was bullshit. I came out, everyone was incredible. I was incredibly lucky. I know that's not everyone's story, but I was incredibly lucky. Um, but ultimately, 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 it's about living your true, authentic self. You have to do it. You can't go through life. Of course or, not. Or you, yeah. But, you know, it just depends what country you're in. Everything, yeah. you know, we're, there's still so many countries where it's illegal. And, you know, it's easy for me to sit here now and, and say, like, oh, you know, you've got to live your authentic life. But no one knows what anyone is dealing with in their own household and within themselves and within yeah. their country. It's just so layered. But yeah, for me, my journey, I I, I was really pleasantly surprised. Everyone was incredible. Yeah, I've got to and, say, I was hugely lucky. And I think when I wrote the introduction to this and said you made the brave decision, I was even questioning saying that because as you say, like we shouldn't have to say it was a brave decision to do something when it's who you are as a person. Um, and hopefully one day, you know, people will get to that stage. But do you... Do you remember the moment you decided to tell your family and come out? Like, do you remember, again, like talking about feelings and gut feelings? Was it, you know, do you remember being like, I'm going to do it today? Or did you do it yes. when you wanted to? Did you keep putting it off? How did that all happen? Well, me and my first girlfriend at the time, we'd obviously discussed it endlessly. Like, you tell your family and I'll tell my family. And um, she, uh, yeah. And so I, I, I knew I'd pick this weekend and said, right, I'm telling my mum and dad. Yeah. And um, I... It was like a summer's eve, and I think it got to the point where I'd spent—I was spending so much time with my then girlfriend that I—I th- I th- oh, I have to say something now. Everyone's going to, yeah. you know, clock on, and and our friends at drama school had clocked on, and we had told them a few of them tested the water they were all amazing about it and actually they all knew um they were like yeah we know you've been spending a lot of time <laughs> yeah, you together think no one knows you're like yeah you kind of go everywhere together yeah. we know <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I went home and um I I was I was terrible at it um I we we, we had this like su- like a my dad built like this my stepdad sorry built like a, a summer house in the back of our garden and I remember we were in there and we were watching, ironically, Will and Grace at the time. <laughs> and um, I, I went out into the garden and got very upset because I was like, you know, I'm going to say it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to say it. Um, and, yeah, and I, I, my mum my, my come out and uh, I could just couldn't say it. I was just so upset and I was crying. And she was like, oh, what's the matter? Are you pregnant? And I went, oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Are Definitely you in debt? Not. Are you in debt? And then, you know, my stepdad comes out. What's going on? What's bloody <laughs> going on out here? Come inside. What are you shouting for? Well, I don't know. She's upset. I don't know. What's the matter with her? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I couldn't speak. So then we went into the uh, summer house and Will and Grace was on. I thought, like, oh, fuck me. Um, yeah, and um, I... I I couldn't, I, I settled down and my stepdad just said, are you gay, love? And I yeah. and I just went and I sobbed and I said, yes. And he said, we know. We've known for a long, long time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and then and then my mum went, oh, how ironic Will and Grace is on. 
<laughs> Love it. The comedy element had to come in. I know. Yeah, brilliant. And and they were they were honestly, it was wonderful. And they've been so wonderful to, you know, any anyone I've brought home. And yeah, incredibly lucky. And then. I just said, well, you tell the rest of the family because I don't want to go through that again. So they did it all for me. <laughs> you do it for me. Um, and I guess, you know, you said you said kind of when you sent me your moments that you often wonder if you'd not been brave enough, what would your kind of life look like now? And I guess it's like if you hadn't fallen in love. And what I want to say is, is I think with this moment specifically, it is about timing because I'm sure you probably would have fallen in love with someone else, but at a different time. And I guess, you know, you've got to think about it as you came out at that time, at that age and almost kind of started the happiness side of your life and you weren't living a lie so do you kind of do you think about the timing of when that all happened and how much it kind of played a part in what came after you came out oh god for sure for sure because I do think it would have been a very long time after that Mm -hmm. um you know I wasn't really uh in a an environment where I was meeting lots of gay women I certainly wasn't brave enough to get out there and you know there weren't dating apps back then you'd have had to have gone to a, a bar which as you know any queer woman would tell you, there aren't many bars for queer women mm-hmm. <laughs> in London um so yeah I mean I think I always think about how long would I have gone for and been unhappy for and I do think it would have been some time and I and I think my first girlfriend came along at the right time you know I was graduating from drama school it was it was such a coming of age it feels late to say that at 23, but it was a real coming of age yeah. moment for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, they definitely helped me make that decision. And I, I do think it happened at the right time because then I exploded into the world and, uh, you know, and I was ready to work and I felt something change because I was yeah. being authentic and real. And, you know, I did t- take a few years after that, to be honest, you know, if I started jobs and people said, Oh, you know, are you with anyone? I'd just say no, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to have to, you know, cause every time you start a new job, you're, you're coming out basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's a bit exhausting, but and, yeah. and no, no one, everyone's usually touch wood, very kind about it. But you know, there is always uh, an assumption when I meet people that go, Oh, so do you, what's your husband do then? Or, you, you know, and it's like, Oh, well, actually, it's, um, uh, it's actually my, my girlfriend. And, yeah. and then you have this sort of, but I've got better with it uh-huh. because I've, um, worked on myself and my mm-hmm. internalized homophobia and a lot of the time it is it's me and my narrative that I'm creating in my head and actually no one gives a shit they're just asking you about your yeah. partner yeah um, no it's true and and I guess you know you're with the love of your life now and even if you think about that you may not have been the person that you were when you met her if you'd not have come out at the age that you did oh no absolutely not no no I've been a slow it's been a slow burn for me to a big, big journey on myself without sounding like a wanker. But yeah, it's been a big journey to go. I'm so happy with who I am. I love my life. I love being uh, gay. Uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. But back then, I I, I really would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do wonder, like, had I not been in the environment of the performing environment, I, thought, I, I dread to think I might have, yeah, got married, had kids and then, you know. Yeah. Ruined every, it ruined loads of people's <laughs> lives and stuff like that. You know, you do start playing those different scenarios in your you head. You do. And it's a brilliant moment. And thank you for sharing it. Because as you say, I think, listen, everyone's situation's different. It doesn't happen like that. But I think for people out there that you know, feel the same as you, knowing that like your story came out really well at the other end. And listen, to to kind of see how much you speak about it and how happy you are, it's an inspiration to a lot of people. So I think oh, it's, you. you know, it's a brilliant moment to have in your life of that decision yeah. to do oh, thank it. Thank you. It's important for me to be honest and to feel uh, and be vis- as visible as I can be um, when, you've, when you've got a little platform. Um, Definitely. I think for, for me, it's important because I spent so long hiding. I think it is important to hear the positive stories as well. I think hopefully someone out there will hear it and go oh yay 100% and that's why podcasts are brilliant because someone could take one little thing away and it changes their whole life so um and then they'll have a sliding doors moment because they'll be like I was just stumbled across this podcast exactly and there was this lady who I'd never heard of Laura (laughs) Checkley now I'm like the biggest fan and (laughs) there you go that is the aim that is what we hope for everything um (laughs) no I love that so much and I guess this leads lovely on to your last moment so leaving musical theatre um for a career in comedy again you said you had felt like you had to be brave um, because you felt like you didn't belong in the industry so you say you remember sitting in a dressing room alone and having a bit of an epiphany um and calling your comedy 
partner and saying, let's just do this. Um, so you left football for theatre, you left theatre for comedy. So explain how this was a sliding doors moment for you and like remembering that specific moment. Yeah, I think, you know, from like just obviously from come the moment I come out, I always made a decision with myself to choose happiness, always choose happiness, try and choose happiness where you can. Um, and I just felt unhappy. I, I've got to be honest, when I was at drama school studying musical theatre in my first year, I went to my head of department. And I said, I'm on the wrong side here. I want to go to acting. Can I move across the acting course? And they were like, what? But you can sing. And I could sing and I could dance and I was good at it all. And But I just wanted to act. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and they said, no, stay on this course. Anyway, I couldn't make the... I wasn't allowed to shift over. Um and I ended up with a great agent and I went straight into work. I actually left drama school a little bit early to go on tour uh, with a musical called, a comedy musical called uh, The Boyfriend. And I just, um, and I enjoyed that because, you know, it was a first job and I was so delighted and, and I enjoyed musical theatre for, for a time. But I always had this little, I don't know, just, a, know, I'm not doing what I was born to do. And, mm. and although I was doing a lot of musical comedy, playing a lot of comical characters I just I was like oh, get the singing out of the way and oh, you know I just wanted to talk and be funny um and I was always creating characters and you know sitting in the dressing rooms making other people laugh and um it, it's always been in me and so it just got more and more as I was just getting older I think um I just started to feel more frustrated and uh yeah I was I was in the West End at the time um um, in a in a show that flopped completely. It's called Gone with the Wind. It was a musical version of Gone with the Wind, the film. Uh-huh. Um, and at the time, obviously I didn't know it was a flop at the time, but yeah, I, I was in like a year's contract and um, it was a good job. You know, Trevor Nunn had directed it, you know. Um, uh, it was in a West End theatre. I had a lovely little part. Um, and I remember sitting in the dressing room in a wig and a very tight corset. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I just, I, I just felt this moment where I was like and I, I'd met Victoria Bush my comedy partner uh, a couple of years previous to that um, and we'd been you know pissing about writing a bit but we'd have a glass of wine and then forgot what we'd said and you know oh we'll do it another time and uh, we haven't got the balls and we always wanted to do stuff but it was just kind of sort of there in the peripheral and you sometimes um, just think oh well we can't do that we're not like you know, those I don't know sometimes I think you oh, think God, it's just yeah. a bit of a dream and it can't really actually happen oh yeah like we'd done it me and Vic's had done a Christmas job together and it was it was a Christmas show that closed before Christmas it was a disaster and we played these Glaswegian snowmen these doormen and loads <laughs> of people like oh you're like French and Saunders we're like are we now and I went do you want to be my comedy partner should did some writing um and then so we did but a lot of it ended up because you know we were new friends and a lot of it ended up with just you know drinking wine and you know not not doing much and just making each other laugh but yeah I was sat in the um in the dressing room and I I gave her a call and I just said I just had this moment I was like I can't do this I'm really like I should be happy I'm in a West End job I'm in it for a year I've got a year's contract I want to die for that and with Trevor Nunn I'm working with Trevor Nunn what's the matter with you and I was just like, I'm just not being honest to myself. So I called mm-hmm. her up and I said, should we book a venue? Should we fucking do this? And she went, yeah, let's do it. Um, and then sort of a few weeks later, it closed, the musical. And I just thought, well, that's oh my God, serendipity, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I ain't got a job now. So I've definitely got time to write this. And we, I mean, mostly when you first start comedy, you should write a, a five minutes and get it strong. Then you go to 10 minutes, you get it strong. You know, you mm-hmm. get your strong 10 minutes, your strong five minutes. We had no idea. We went in with a full hour. <laughs> we wrote an hour's worth of sketches. Oh, my God. And I'd done the News Review, which is like a, a, a comical, topical musical show. I'd done that previous. So I was like, listen, I know people at the uh, Canal Cafe and it's like a comedy venue. We'll go there. We'll just book a venue. We'll pay for it. We'll invite our mates. Let's see if we're funny. Uh, so we wrote an hour. Most of it was really terrible. Um, and and so it began. And, um, and I... I I had to really struggle with my agent because I had to keep saying no to a lot of things. You know, they wanted me to go up to this musical, that musical. And I just said, look, I'm really sorry. I don't want to do, I don't want to do musicals. I'll, I'll be interested in plays. I'll do a play, but I'm not, I, I'm, for now, I'm saying mm-hmm. no to musicals. Like I've really got to give this a go. And I'd, I'd met some, a friend of mine who's a very good friend of mine now is on the comedy circuit at the time. And she ran a night and she, I said to her, like, what, what shall I do? How do I break into comedy? She said, well, you, you both need to get on the comedy circuit. So people see you yeah. and you need to stop saying yes to, to musical theatre yeah and that's the that's the sad thing you know I look at like you look at Hannah Waddingham now 
who uh, is in Ted Lasso. Yeah. Like winning loads of awards. She spent years in musical theatre and um, it was like a big deal in musical theatre. And it's so incredible to watch her journey because you get so pigeonholed when you're doing musicals. And that it wasn't because I didn't want, I never wanted to do a musical again. Like I'd be well up for it now. If there was a musical that I thought I'd love to do that, yeah. I'm well up for it. But what I had to do in order to be sort of taken seriously for comedy, strange thing to say, but I had to step away from musical theatre. I couldn't keep saying yes because no one would take me seriously as a, yeah, you a have TV to kind of, actor or comedy actor. Yeah, you have to be like in your lane. And I guess, was it hard at the beginning? Like, you know, re, I mean, I, can't, I can only imagine like, you know, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But actually like, you know, getting the gigs, probably not getting yeah. paid that well. Was it, was it really, is it hard to get to there at the beginning? Yeah, so hard. And in sketch comedy, the sketch comedy world, particularly at a time when we were around in the early noughties. Um, no, it's like mid to late noughties, sorry. Yeah, it was late noughties, sorry. Um, you're making yourself noughties? sound older than you are. Like 2008-ish. <laughs> What's that? Is that late noughties? Are we... Late noughties, yeah. Is that late noughties? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the late noughties. Um, I, uh, we, we, um, we, we didn't get paid anything. We were gigging for free and we couldn't get any gigs. So someone said, run a night. And then if you run a night, you can swap gigs with people. So we ran a night at Leicester Square Theatre and suddenly like everyone was giving us a, a gig because we were giving them a gig and yeah um and then uh we did like we went up to Edinburgh but it cost us a fortune we were producing our own show and we did really well great reviews and we were really cooking with gas and uh you know our night in Leicester Square was like a oh, it was just brilliant it was really really successful and we were just doing really really well um but it was we were hemorrhaging money and if you ain't got uh, the infrastructure behind you, as in like, you know, you haven't got parents that can help you, you haven't got that, you, we, we didn't have that privilege. Um, and and we were working a lot in many different jobs. I was cleaning, I was working in front of us at the theatre, I was teaching on a Saturday and, and Vicks was the same. Um, what was difficult was in our first Edinburgh, we'd go out flyering and, uh, you know, Vicks at the time had, had not long finished uh, she'd done Bad Girls. She mm -hmm. was in Bad Girls. She was in that for like five years. So, you know, suddenly we're flyering for a show and people go, are you even funny? Is that you on there? Are you funny? And, you know, looking at the flyer and going, uh, well, yes, I mean, come and see the show. And, <laughs> yeah. and suddenly you're like, God, I did have a career. I've walked away from a bit of a career. And Vix, I know, felt the same as well, that we kind of really just ploughed everything into Checkley and Bush because you, you have to. Then Vix got uh, a job, a TV job, Waterloo Road, and went off and did that and filmed that in Glasgow. And then, and then I got a job on a, a comedy drama. But what, whilst we were on the circuit, you meet lots of people and exactly. you, invite, you invite, invite agents and producers and suddenly people start going, oh, you can do comedy. Oh, she's good. But I did get a lot, you know, that was, I got my first proper telly job when I was 33. Wow. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it came late. So I often, I, I often feel like, oh, if only I'd have got going sooner with this, I'd have been further along. But, but it's not meant to be, you know. Exactly. It's like, it was meant to be this, wasn't it? Exactly. And I guess, do you think about if you hadn't have made the decision at that time to move into comedy? And as you say, you've got to throw your all into it to kind mm. of be taken seriously. Do you, you know, do you, do you think you'd be in musical theatre still? Do you think your acting career would be where it was? Like, where do you think you'd be? Well, I'd like to think that I'd have kept going in musicals and you know I've got my contemporaries from drama school and I see you know their trajectory and I think I'd be similarly there and you know they've they've all like worked consistently in year-long contracts in in theatre and stuff and you know I've got a house and yeah I've got their kids and a little bit more of a settled life and mine's come later you know like I've I've just about bought my first flat um, congratulations thank you very much thank you but it took a long time recovering financially from supporting myself in the comedy world um and it was you know and it's not me just playing the, the throwing the working class card in but it, it was really it was that was tough you know you've got people around you that are just supported you know they just have a different support and infrastructure from their family or you know whoever we just didn't have that um and so I feel like, you know, with everything, and I talk about this a lot with my career, that if I'd have had time to sit down and, and write and not have to work a million jobs mm -hmm. and gig and whatever, definitely feel like I could have been where I am a little bit quicker. But um, you can't get caught in that place. You know what? We can say if that had happened earlier, but 
you everyone's on their own path and I think that you know the social pressures of you know being a certain age and buying a house and having kids and all this house of it, it's slowly going out of the water and actually you know you'd never be where you are today without the journey that you've had but also you know a lot of this stuff is we're building on ourselves and our happiness and you know we can be very wealthy in kind of knowing who we are as a person and I think that um you know, the fact that you can say all of this now is just brilliant because I think we can start our lives at, in our early 40s. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people now are talking about stories where they built their business at, in their early 40s and whatever. And you've still got a lot of your life to go. So I think, you know, it's brilliant to hear. Yeah, I think you're just so right. And it's so important that message to go. You can have many lives at different times. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hear of people suddenly dropping everything and becoming a big business owner in their 50s and and that's that's the joy and I think that's what's important to remember now that your your moment like when I when I've taught in the past I've always said like just keep keep your eyes on your own road you know someone's going to whiz past you at different times like you've got your own you've got your own journey and it will come when it will come just be patient stick it out you know, but what's important to also say is that you know it doesn't always pay off like mm-hmm. you can work your ass off and give it everything but it's not always the same ending for everyone um you know I've got so many brilliantly talented people I know students in the past I know that have just had to like drop off because they can't financially sustain it and that's that's what's that's what's hard about what Mm -hmm. we do as actors and it's going you know it's nonsense to go work hard and it will come it might not it might not um but it's really really important to choose happiness and that's what I choose every time and and if I woke up tomorrow and suddenly weren't enjoying it I'd do something else oh Laura that's such brilliant advice and I've absolutely loved chatting to you today about all of your moments and I'm hoping that one day you'll do a football comedy musical to put all of your things together and show me kick a ball about be funny sing I'm writing that now I'm gonna get (laughs) off this call and I'm gonna write that now (laughs) oh oh, Laura thank you so much for sharing all your moments with us it's been brilliant and good luck with all your writing and everything that you've got coming up oh thanks Jenny thanks so much thanks Laura Bye. bye thank you so much for listening to this episode of sliding doors If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.